Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sarah McKenzie, your host for the Read Aloud Revival podcast. Hey, it's a big month at the Read Aloud Revival. Make sure you're getting our Read Aloud Revival weekly email so you don't miss out on any of the big news. You definitely want to know what we have coming right around the corner. So head to readaloudrevival.com to get on the email list. When you do, we'll send you a carefully curated list of our favorite Read Alouds. That's readaloudrevival.com. If you're familiar with Trisha Goyer's work, you know that she writes about women overcoming challenges. And I think one challenge she has dealt with beautifully in her own life is going to inspire you so very much. Trisha Goyer is a writer, a speaker, and a homeschooling mother. She's written, get this, more than 50 books and has published over 500 articles in publications like Guideposts and Home Life Magazine. In addition to her fiction books, which include the Big Sky series and Seven Brides for Seven Bachelors series and a whole host of others, Trisha writes nonfiction books about family and parenting. She's the mother of 10, grandmother of two, and an adoptive parent who credits reading together with helping her get her new family adjusted and form a wonderful bond. So I know you're going to love hearing from her. I'm so excited to chat with her. Trisha, welcome to the Read Aloud Revival. Thank you so much for having me. I love listening to you. So it's fun to finally chat with you. Well, when you sent me an email the first time, I have to say I had a little fangirl moment over on my side of the computer screen. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really thrilled to be talking to you today. Do you want to give us a little background on your family and your work? Anything that I didn't mention already? Sure. Well, you covered a lot of it. Like you said, I'm a mom of 10. We have three biological kids and we adopted seven over the last about four or five years. I've been a homeschooling mom. My oldest is 27. He's married with two kids. So I've been homeschooling since 1994 and I still have like, I don't know. 12 years to go or something like that. <laughs> Who's counting? Don't count. It's overwhelming okay. when you count. <laughs> I'll be homeschooling like almost 40 years. Or my, my life will be spent homeschooling. Um, I was a teen mom. I had my first son when I was 17 and gave my heart to the Lord when I was pregnant with him. So really have just been doing this mom thing for a really long time. And I also mentor teen moms. That's another thing that I just love doing. Yeah. And you wrote a book for, te- you've written a couple of books for teen moms. Is that right? I have. um, Life Interrupted and then Teen Mom, You're Stronger Than You Think is my newest release for young moms. So I just love just encouraging other moms out there and just letting them know that they can do great things and um, 
that God has big, big plans for them. So beautiful. Okay, so tell me about your family. You've you have ten kids. Some you've added to your family through adoption. Some are biological. Is that right? Yes. So we have three biological. Corey is twenty seven, and he's married with two kids. Our twenty four year old Leslie, she's a missionary in the Czech Republic, and she just got married last year. She fell in love with a wonderful Czech guy, and she's over there teaching English. Amazing. And then our yeah, our twenty two year old Nathan. Uh, still lives at home and he is like my right hand man. He is such a huge help because I told him he's not allowed to move out because I just depend on him so much. Um, And then we've adopted seven. So we adopted Alyssa. She's six now. We adopted her as a newborn mom. And then we adopted two from foster care, Casey and Bella. They were two and five when we adopted them a couple years ago. They're five and eight now. And then uh, we adopted four girls from foster care and their adoption was just finalized this year in January. Oh, congratulations. And, yeah. So Maria is 16. Jordan and Lauren are twins and they're 13. And Florentina is my very extroverted 11 year old. Um, <laughs> it just, yes, has energy and just glows wherever she goes. And they're all biological sisters. And those, they're, yes, and they're biological. And they actually have an older sister that aged out of foster care who's 19. And she's married with a baby. And so technically, I have three grandkids because we you know we just kind of adopted her in right. to the family, too. I think I've heard you describe the adoption process as emotional, dramatic, and holy. So tell us more about what you mean by that. They have had traumatic backgrounds. So that is part of the emotional and traumatic part. You know, I would with each adoption, the first year was not fun. All of them had special needs for emotional needs. So we had some post-traumatic stress stuff going on. We had depression going on with some of the older girls. So really the first year, there was a lot of drama, a lot of fits, yelling, screaming, just all those kind of horror stories you kind of hear about. Mm-hmm, yeah. We, experience those with the girls and it was hard, but we just were committed. And a lot of times with those kids, they have just been thrown out and moved on. Our littles, they were only two and five and they had been in 12 homes in the year in one year and five. Yeah. Both of our sets of siblings had failed adoptions before us. So they actually moved in with other families and other families couldn't handle situations and sent them back. They came to us very hurt, very broken. Um, so we knew it was going to be hard and it, and it was hard. So you told me that reading aloud has been an important part of your family bonding. Can you tell me more about that? Absolutely. Well, we always, from the, our biological kids on, have read at bedtime. So at first it was, we wanted to get our kids to actually stay in their beds at bedtime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How it all started. So John and I, or I would sit there and have you read a chapter of a chapter book, they're kind of settled in and almost falling asleep. So that was kind of how we got started on reading out loud. And then with homeschooling, I worked in over the years reading out loud, but with our adopted kids, we just wanted to really say, you know, this is our family. This is who we are. This is what we do. And it was just a wonderful way for connecting. So when our First of all, when our girls were just doing visits, I would read aloud to them um, when we had overnight stays because we had about three months of visits before they actually moved in with us. And then I would send them home with some of the books. And so a lot of them were my books that I've uh, written, which were kind of fun. They thought it was pretty cool to go home with 
books. But once they moved in, we just made it part of a nightly routine. So um, one of the books I read then was actually one that I wrote, Love Finds You in Lonesome Prairie, Montana. But it's about a young woman who's an orphan and she uh, is part of an orphan train. So it's so funny because I've been writing about adoption for years, not even really thinking that we would adopt. But yeah, yeah. And then it's um, like almost like God was preparing you in a very unique way by having you write the stories and like connect with these characters. I mean, I would imagine I don't write fiction, but I would imagine that when you're writing fiction, you have this really deep, meaningful connection with your characters and not really realizing that was like probably fertile soil for God to work in you before you adopted. That's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And then another book is called In Between by Jenny B. Jones. And one of our 13 year olds, Jordan, had read it. And she's like, Mom, we need to do this for our bed nighttime reading. And so after we finished Love Finds You in Lonesome Prairie, Montana, we started in that. And it's about, I didn't even have any idea what it was about. I knew it was like this teen tween book, but it was about a girl in foster care and moving in with a new family and how she was so certain they were going to kick her out, that she was just acting out. And it's all in this novel. And as we're reading, Jordan's like, Mom, that's how I felt. That's how I felt. And so she was able to kind of communicate with me her emotions and her fears through a novel, which I think was so helpful that we were to say, you know, the character is going through different situations. And she's think when you moved in with us and it just opened up these wonderful conversations. So it really well, I was. I would imagine that you, like as a teenager, especially, you're not really sure about whether or not what you feel is like valid. And so hearing maybe hearing a character say it or experience it gives you a safe place to go. Hey, that's how I feel, too. And then a platform almost or an a bit uh, and not a platform so much as like a, I don't know, a place, a safe place to like br- approach those conversations with you. I could see that being just a really helpful way for those, especially those uncomfortable kind of feelings or hard feelings. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times during our read out louds, they'll stop me and they'll just want to talk about it. And it's been like almost therapy for us that they can open up and share what the character's feeling. And maybe the situation isn't exactly the same. You know, there's books we've read, of course, where the, the characters aren't in foster care or adopted. But, you know, if we talk about fears or worries or whatever the character is going through, I think it is a wonderful time for just to talk about those emotions because it's so hard for them to process everything that they've, mm-hmm. it was just a way that fiction kind of opened up the conversation. So, you know, maybe reading one chapter would take an hour because they'd want to stop and talk and for yeah. me, I'm like, hey, I really want to go to bed, but yeah. also at the same time, it's like, this is really, really good. And then we started homeschooling them, which, I, you know, we could share more about that too. But, and we, then we did a lot more reading out loud. So it just has been wonderful for our family, just in uniting us. Okay, well, first, I want to tell our listeners that if you're wondering, hey, what were those book titles Trisha just mentioned, we will have links to all of the books that Trisha mentions during the show today in our show notes. If you head to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode 52, you'll be able to see all of the books that we mentioned during today's show. So you don't have to feel like you need to stop folding the laundry or pull off the road (laughs) to write them down. We will keep track of them for you. Okay, well, you mentioned that you started homeschooling them at one point. One thing you wrote that was just really wonderful and encouraging on your site under that how to homeschool tab about homeschooling adopted children is, and I'll quote you here, just because you believe homeschooling is the best choice doesn't mean it's the best choice for your adopted kids today. I would love to hear any advice or encouragement you have for families who are adopting and thinking about homeschooling. Absolutely. You know, I had been a homeschooling mom, you know, since our oldest was four. So homeschooling was totally 
what we did. And when we brought home Bella and Casey at first, she was five, Casey was two. We had so much struggles with her just emotionally. I mean, she, they were actually considering institutionalizing her because just all her difficult attitudes. And the idea of adding homeschool on with a five-year-old who was just having such a difficult time just connecting at all with anybody, I knew it would just be such so hard. It's me saying, or, you know, it would just put me in kind of um, an authoritative director type of person in her mm-hmm. life. And really, during that time, I just needed to be mommy. I needed to be mommy to, you know, still read books, but not academically. Right. So for a year, she went for, to a private Christian school and it's a therapeutic school. So it's kids with special needs. They, they have autistic kids or lots of other kids that had been adopted that had emotional issues. And so for one year, she just went there and I almost felt like I need to hand in my homeschooling card because my child is going to school, but we just really needed it. And after the year, we were doing so much better. Emotionally, she was doing better. We were bonded. Then we were able to start homeschooling and it was okay. So, you know, so many times the kids have so much to deal with right away and they don't even understand what a mom and dad, what their roles are. They don't have those roles in their mind in a positive way. And so trying to add homeschooling may not be the best thing for that time. And and it really was great for us just to take a year and just to have that time just for me to be mommy instead of homeschooling teacher for her. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think it actually brings it's relevant to all of us in some way or another, because I think a lot of times in the homeschooling world, we tend to idolize homeschooling itself as like as the thing. And we kind of forget that it's just supposed to be in service to us and as a way to help us raise our children. You know, our children are the, the the thing. And then even for families who aren't homeschooling, I think parents in general, we tend to do this. We kind of have this ideal vision of what we think is the best choice. And sometimes we forget that that choice was actually supposed to help us raise our children. You know, it's supposed to be in service to us. And so we end up putting whatever it is, whether that be homeschooling or whether it be a certain way of eating or whatever it is, a certain way of living that we think is the best possible way. Sometimes we have to wiggle around on that a little bit to give our children what they need right now, which I think is exactly what you're describing. Absolutely. Yes. So give me some other books that you've enjoyed reading. I know you mentioned the books by Jenny B. Jones, right? Did I get that name right? Yes, Jenny B. Jones. Mm-hmm. Okay. What other books have you enjoyed with your adopted kids as you've been kind of getting closer? Well, once we started homeschooling, we had a lot more time for reading out loud. And so when they were in, the, actually the four girls that we adopted were, went to public school for six months because we couldn't homeschool them while they were still under DHS care, our, our local, mm-hmm. you know, the state of Arkansas, they went all that. So when they were in school, it was crazy. Like we had no, hardly any time for reading out loud. Except yeah. It was like, get your homework and get, I mean, it was, I'm so thankful for the time now. And, but once we started homeschooling, we started using sunlight. And so we read a lot of books. We did the Golden Goblet, Mara, Princess of the Nile, a lot of the world history books, Hittite Warrior, and even their science books, their whatever sunlight had for that day, I would just mostly read it out loud. There was three of them, and then the 16-year-old would kind of jump in. So we were doing the core for like sixth to eighth grade, and then the little ones would kind of listen. So I was just reading aloud for hours and hours. And I don't think they realize that most homeschooling is like that with mom just reading out loud all the time. (laughs) I just wanted them all to have that time just hearing my voice. Like for the other kids, we did a lot of like online classes. 
and we did workbooks or, you know, different things because I had that relationship with them. And we've already had hours and hours of hours of them hearing my voice and connecting with me. But really, I just wanted to have their homeschool curriculum be, this is mom and you connecting time. And so we just a lot of reading. We did a lot of Bible reading and really, you know, going through cough drops and water because I was just reading so much. But I just want them to have years of me just hearing my voice and hearing the rhythm and making that part of their homeschool. So it's not just about the education. It's about us really connecting and them being connected to me as their mom. Fantastic. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with Sunlight, Sunlight is a literature-based curriculum program that is primarily reloads. Would you say that is a fair way to describe it? Okay. And then also we'll put a link in the show notes so you can look into it if you're interested. And the new curriculum called Bookshark is created by the same people with a slightly different focus. And so we'll put links to both of those. So if you're looking for literature-based curriculum for your homeschool, those are good places to start. Lots and lots of homeschoolers love Sunlight and Bookshark. And we have lots of Read Aloud Revivalers who are using one or the other of those curriculum providers as well. So if you're a member in our forum and you have questions about Sunlight or Bookshark or other literature-based homeschool programs, you can ask there and I can almost guarantee that somebody there will be able to answer your questions. (laughs) So that should be helpful. So you are being able to now you, of course, homeschooling gives you more time to read aloud to your kids during the day, which is fantastic. One other thing I wanted to talk to you about a lot is your writing. We have quite a few listeners who are also writers. We have quite a few young people who are want to be, you know, want to grow up writing. And you're just, you're incredibly prolific. That's really super inspiring to me because I'm a writer and a mother of many. And I want to know (laughs) more about what that looks like in your life and what that looks like in your day to day. Yeah. You know, I started writing when I was 22 and had three little kids at home. So I had just started homeschooling around that time and like, I'm going to be a Christian fiction writer. (laughs) It was just my goal. And the amazing thing is I didn't grow up around books. Like I don't remember books in our home when I was little. I don't remember my mom ever reading out loud. The gift from God was that when I was in sixth grade, we moved about a mile from the library. And so while other kids were at the ballpark or out swimming or doing these things, I was at the library. And so when I was this young mom and thought about like, what do I want for my future? Um, I had a friend that was writing a book. And when she said that, I just thought back to that little girl who just like rode her bicycle every day to the library and said, I want to do that too. And so just started during my kids' nap times would write articles and send stuff out, got tons of rejection. I went to my first writer's conference, which was huge. If you have a Christian writer's conference close to you, it's such a wonderful way. We connected with a lot. Uh, I connected with a lot of published authors, a lot of wannabe authors. Robin Jones Gunn is a dear friend, and she kind of just took me under her wing and mentored me as this young mom wanting to be a writer and just encouraged me and inspired me. But mostly just connecting with the other women there. Um, There's 15 of us and we just started an online like email prayer group. This was before Facebook private groups, but we just mm-hmm. prayed for each other, encouraged each other. And it's amazing multiple books published now. It was just like that iron sharpens iron that encouraging each other really made a huge difference. And so my first book came out in 99. It was a devotional book for focus on the family. It was called Mealtime Moments. It was just re-released as Wits Mealtime Devotions. And then my first novel came out in um, 2003. It's a World War II historical novel about the liberation of a concentration camp in Austria. And I was there just with friends and came upon this amazing story about the liberation and of the concentration camp was able to talk 
to some of the veterans that had been there and interviewed them in person. So that was amazing. And really, I mean, through this whole thing, you know, this dream has been there as a as a mom and I'm interviewing these people and going on research trips. And the whole time I'm like, but I'm just a mom, but I'm just a mom, which I think at times has been great. It's given me the flexibility. If they're working on something, there's been times like, okay, I'm going to work on this chapter too while you guys are doing your math test or whatever. (laughs) But there are other times when I thought, man, you know, other parents are doing all these wonderful science projects and, you know, we're going on another research trip or, you know, I'm telling my kids, no, I just need to write for an hour. So there has been the struggle with that too. But what I found is, especially with my three older kids that were there from the beginning, is it's been such a good example to them of what it means to like, see your talents and follow God and just, you know, sit down and do hard work. You know, they've seen me when I had nothing published and just working really hard. They've been on the research trips with me. They see when the books come out. So it's really been a wonderful example. You know, we, we say we want our kids to like grow up and use their talents and do big things for God or, you know, follow the goals that they have set for themselves. I think we really need to model that. And for years, what I thought was a disadvantage to them has actually turned out to be an advantage because they've seen like, look what mom can do. And I can do that too. You know, my 24 year old's living in Europe. She, she started college when she was 16 and graduated with her bachelor's when she was 21 and packed up and moved to Europe (laughs) when she was still 20 years old. (laughs) You know, she knew a church over there that wanted to work with her and she just did it. And I'm like, Oh no. But I realized (laughs) that it was example. Like I had been an example and we read tons of missionary books when she was growing up. And of course, you know, that's what she's going to do. So um, it's amazing to see it kind of going full, full circle in my kids' lives now. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. encouraging to me because I will say that since I've started writing and working a lot more than I used to, there's been this weird tension. I was just talking to my sister about this last week. There's been this weird tension about feeling like, 
we all have to make a trade-off. And one of the trade-offs I feel like I make as a writer and as someone who runs the Read Letter Revival is that my kids, I do less things that I see other people doing with their kids, especially homeschooling moms, like kind of the amazing projects and things like that. We all feel guilt, I think, like for all the things that we're not doing. But listening to you talk about the richness that comes from this life too, or, or whatever life God has called us to, that's really encouraging and beautiful to me. Yeah. And that's just how our family has lived. I mean, they've just been along with me as we've done interview people or been on trips or you know, every trip we go on, I'm researching something or we go to some museum where we meet up with people, you know, they've met amazing authors. We've had people stay at amazing authors stay at our home. We've had missionaries stay in their home. I mean, they just have this rich education that I didn't plan on. And so they don't even know that like we totally missed making homemade marshmallows or <laughs> whatever, whatever <laughs> things that they yeah. Uh, going on the other homeschoolers were doing like they they don't understand like in my mind I was thinking oh they're missing out but really they don't miss that like this is just our life and how we have lived as homeschoolers and it's really benefiting I think them just the world that they've explored that maybe never would have happened if I hadn't been writing and speaking yeah that's I love that I think about that a lot too the way how I want my kids to grow up and to use their talents and live out their full potential and to contribute to the world in the unique way that they've been created to to contribute. And yeah, I feel guilty when I know that I'm when I'm doing that myself. And so it's kind of funny. So it's like that, you know, like remembering oh, this is that modeling that I'm doing for them. This is the kind of thing that I hope my kids get to do someday is work in the areas and the in the ways that God has uniquely suited them to to work and to contribute. And so, you know, it's so amazing to see like the things that our family, you know, we served and we we gave and the things that we focus on, like that was just the seeds for them going farther. Like I never have been a missionary in Europe, but my daughter is, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the seeds of the books we read and this, you know, we serve with teen moms or whatever in our community, how that was a seed that grew into something bigger. And so it's just amazing how those things that God does put in our hearts and the goals he's given us, the dreams he's given us will someday grow into something even more in our kids that we never maybe even dreamed. These are just seeds that are planting. And he knows like putting what parents with what kids and what I love, how that will impact what my kids are going to love. And so it's just cool to see that it's a bigger picture than sometimes we even think when we're sitting down with our books to read. Exactly. So you're telling, you're saying that you have been published for less than 20 years, but you've written over 50 books, right? Yes. Or written and co-written over 50 books. That's amazing. That's amazing. So do you write every day? Is that a fair guess? <laughs> um, I try. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Really hard. Well, especially since we've had the adopted kids, there's a lot of, um, they go to therapy and we, you know, we have different, I mean, it just seems like it's busy, but I try to write every day. And I think it's actually been a benefit having kids at home and at homeschooling because my writing time may be an hour or two hours. And I'll say, okay, I have to write a thousand words or 1500 words in these two hours where I have, you know, writer friends, I mean, not to compare all the way, but you know, sometimes they have eight hours and they still strive for 1500 words. I think it's benefited me because I have such a limited time. I can't like play solitaire. Like, exactly. At <laughs> my desk. It's like, I've always had kids at home since I've written. So it's just been like, okay, this is my writing time. And I just have to get something done. I mean, I have a novel due in like less than two weeks. And it's like every day I'm like, okay, that laundry is going to have to wait. You know, I'll have to do that tomorrow. Or I just have to have the priorities there to be dedicated to get something done almost every day. And then it's amazing how when you work for 
you know, hour, two hours on a daily basis. It's a lot of work you've produced. Absolutely. Like that, those little bits add up. That's what I was telling somebody not too long ago. Teaching for Mess is a pretty short book, but it's still, I only, I wrote it in these 15 minute chunks. I had just had the twins. The twins were like six months old when I was writing that book in, and really I wrote it in 15 minute chunks over a period of a while. <laughs> and that just added up to being, you know, finally being a finished product. But I also like the freedom of being able to kind of write in the nooks and crannies of the day if I can. So I agree. That's really helpful. So you said you weren't really read too much as a child. Did you read? You were you a, you were a reader after you moved next to the library. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So what were your books that like really influenced you as you were growing up? The Little House on the Prairie books. So anything by Laurel Ingalls Wilder. I just, I think I, I don't know, know how many times I reread those. Nancy Drew. I'm, I'm pretty yes. sure I've read Nancy Drew books. It's like Peter Brown. And then I would get like Helen Keller, I, you know, I would just have the library find anything that they could on Helen Keller. So I'd read like short books about her or longer. I mean, I just would get on this a character or a person and just read, read, read. And it was crazy because like I wasn't read to. I don't remember my parents reading. And it was just something in me that would just come home with piles of books. And in fact, I remember one summer day I checked out like two like plastic bags full of books and I put them on the front of my bicycle. And I was actually, there's a hill that would go from the library to my house. And I was going down the hill and the books on the front weighed more than me because I ended up flipping over the handlebars. And oh like, my goodness. Everywhere, like cars had to stop because there's like me and like books everywhere. So, so reading can be dangerous at times when you check out too much books from the library. But I remember even like in sixth grade, I would take home piles of picture books because I hadn't read them. It was like, I had just discovered this whole new world of reading and just would read everything that was out there. Have you read Miss Spitfire by Sarah Miller? No. Okay. I read this. I gosh, it must have been a hand, maybe more than a handful of years ago. I know it was published in 2010. It's called Miss Spitfire Reaching Helen Keller. And it's a fictionalized book for young readers from the point of view of Annie Sullivan. So Helen Keller's teacher. And I remember enjoying it a lot. I want to say it might be for like... I'm trying to remember. It's been so many years since I've read it, but my guess is it would be for somewhere between like 10 and 16 or something, maybe like tweens. But it was really, really enjoy. I really enjoyed reading it. So if you were, uh, you know, wanting to revisit your childhood favorites, the Spitfire might be a good new one to kind of take you back to Helen Keller uh, stuff. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love how even as adults, rediscovering books or discovering books with children. I recently discovered the Betsy Tacey books. So this last year, I read the Betsy Tacey books with my kids. And I had never read Anne of Green Gables. I don't even know why. So that's what I'm currently reading to my little kids during their bedtime is Anne of Green Gables. And it's so fun as an adult, like, oh, what are we going to read next? I think sometimes I get more excited than they do. Me too. Me too. And I'll find that I'll like to read like the first book in a series, but then I I don't really want to keep reading the series because I'm so ready to like, there's so many other books that I can't wait to read. So a lot of times I'll read the first book in a series like Anne, Anne of Green Gables is my, is like my favorite. I think that's like the perfect, most perfect book ever. And so like, I'll like to read the first one and then just hand this, the next ones to my kids, but then I'll find myself like sneak reading them <laughs> on my own because they're so delightful. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, you're writing so much, your kids are seeing you write so often and watching that whole process of research and writing and thinking about writing. Do any of your, your own children write or do any of your kids want to be writers or write for fun? 
Absolutely. And which it's so funny because they never like when they grow up, they think I'm not going to be like mom. And then they end up being exactly like mom. <laughs> I think we had such a literature influenced home that they it's just naturally. So my daughter graduated. She has a degree in writing and editing and she's teaching English, like I mentioned, in the Czech Republic now. She's a great writer. And I, I tell her all the time that she needs to write more. She does a blog, but I think she'd be great writing books. But my sons actually are the ones that want to be writers. So my 27 year old you know, married two kids. So he kind of writes books on the side. But my 19 or 22, oh my goodness, someone said 19 year old, my 22 year old <laughs> just finished a novel. And so I'm oh, wow. reading through it, and editing it. And his goal within the next couple months is to self publish it. It's this time travel with a, a like a Christian allegory book. And it's really good. So I always taught writing to homeschooler homeschooling groups. And I would drag them along. So it's amazing to see like, wow, they're just dragging them along. So my three older ones, and then my, one of my adopted girls, the 13 year old, she is working on a book too. And so she won't let me read it yet, but um, she spends hours a day on the computer. And it's about a, a teenager that gets adopted by a band. So I'm curious to see what adoption on the road by a music band looks like in her, in her mind. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> I mean, she spends hours every day working on it. So it's it's wonderful to see that they, I think their love of books has just grown in them. And there's just this natural rhythm to their writing. I think so much from hearing, reading out loud, that they just have grown into some wonderful writers. I can totally see that. My oldest, 14 and 12 and 10. Those are my three oldest kids. And they're all writing stories right now. And when I was, I only get to peek, you know, when they tell me I can now read it. But my 12-year-old is writing like fairy tales. She's combining fairy tale characters into a new story. It's really interesting. Anyway, I was reading through it the other day, the part that she allowed me to, and um, because she's done with that part. And the turns of phrase and the vocabulary and the cadence of her writing, I thought this could only be achieved in a 12-year-old who's heard not just read a lot, but like heard a lot of language, written language spoken out loud through the ear because the cadence was so well done. It was it was interesting to me to read that and think I wrote a ton when I was this age and nothing I wrote was this good. (laughs) (laughs) So that's really inspiring. What kind of do you have anything that you could tell our listeners who want to encourage their children's writing or encourage the young writers in their home? Absolutely. So I did a homeschool writing group for years and years, and we would do the same thing every time we met. They would have to bring between 1,000 and 1,200 words of something they wrote. And I told them, don't worry about grammar. Don't worry about grammar. Don't worry about spelling. And, and naturally, they kind of pick it up as they go. But I think so many times with having to get everything right that they lose their creativity. So I said, don't even worry about that. And then we would bring it, and everyone would have a chance to read it in class. So we'd have like two or three a week. And then we'd have to share three things that we really liked about their writing and one thing that we thought that they can improve. And so they'd go around, there'd probably be like eight in the class. And then at the end, I'd give my input. And usually by the time it got to me, all the other kids have caught something. (laughs) So if they have a chance to get with other kids that are writing, sometimes they can see what works and doesn't work more in somebody else's writing than their own. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, it really just helps just to get the story on the paper. Let them be creative. Don't worry about writing and spelling and editing and all those types of things. Just get it on the paper or come up with fun activities. 
one activity that I love to do with my kids and in our groups is we'd come up with a whole pile of just little pieces of papers that had a setting and then a whole pile of papers that had a character and then a whole pile of papers that had a problem. And then they'd have to choose one from each and then they'd have to write on it. So I remember one that we did in our writing class, it was like a nun and then she was on an airplane and she had to save someone that was trying to explode a nuclear missile or something. So wow, it was just yes. so, yeah, you get these and then just <laughs> it stretches their writing brain. And it was so much fun to see what they came up with. And it's really fun because two of my students are published authors now. And it's so fun to see that, wow, you know, just by encouraging them and not limiting their creativity really just opened up those worlds to them. So that's what I would just encourage parents. Just let them write. Don't be worried too much about it. And then help them come up with creative things to write about and just um, to grow those writing muscles. I love that. I remember as a child, I think I must have been maybe 10 and I had gone to a young writers conference, which I remember thinking like it was like a dream come true. It was so much fun. I remember one of the exercises we did was, I can't remember what the sentence was, but one of the writers stood in front of us and gave us like the first three sentences and then told us, like set a timer for, I don't know what it was, maybe five minutes or something and told us just to keep writing. Like that was the story. I remember feeling like, because I didn't have that pressure of like, you can write about anything now come up with something amazing. Being given like a starting place uh, really, really helped turn my creativity on. Yes. Another thing that we did is one more activity is that they'd pick a favorite novel. So something that they just love and love to read and love the style of it. And then we would make a photocopy of like a couple pages. And then we would highlight like all the action in red and all the dialogue in blue, all the interior monologue in yellow. And they would just color it all up. And then you could see a pattern like with the colors, because sometimes they would have, you know, kids when they write, they just have like a ton of description and no dialogue or, (laughs) you know, nothing really happens because it's all in someone's head. And so going through like a favorite novel, they would see kind of the patterns And then we would say, okay, now you write something that you want to write using the same pattern. So they would see, okay, there's a line of dialogue followed by a line of interior monologue, followed by two lines of action. And that was another way of them to see like how writing works, like not just writing to get thoughts on paper, but how a novel would be set up or a short story would be set up. And that was another activity that they really enjoyed. And like you said, it just helps them get a starting place because, you know, we say, yeah, be creative, sit down and write. And then they're like, "Uh, what do I do? Or how come it doesn't sound like sometimes what mom's reading to me or what I'm reading in a book? And that's another. Oh, that's a really good point, because I know myself as a writer, I have a tendency to compare my writing process or my as I'm typing it writing to someone else's finished edited book, you know, and that gives me like as an adult who knows that's not how it works. You know, you can't compare your process to somebody else's product. That gives me anxiety about my writing. So as a child, I could see that being, you know, if they're listening, especially to wonderful books like Little House and Beverly Cleary and all these wonderful writers, and then they sit down and write, they think, why doesn't this sound like what I'm reading? Right. And so that's just a tool to teach them that, you know, this is, there's patterns to writing and there's patterns to their favorite authors. And if you did like Beverly Clearly, if you did like three of her books, you'd probably see, you know, the patterns in it just in the first couple of pages. And so it just helps them to see, yes, you have your own story, but there are patterns to writing. And then that helps them like, oh, okay, feel like more confident to be able to do it without like writing a page and feeling so discouraged because it doesn't look like anything that they read. So encouraging. Well, Trisha, this has been wonderful. I feel like our listeners are really going to appreciate 
your insight into helping meet our children where they're at by reading aloud to them and kind of forging those bonds. And then also encouraging our kids to write and become who God created them to be by modeling it. So this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hi, my name is Adriana, and I'm five years old. I live in the Philippines. My favorite book is Chronicles of Narnia because the Aslan defeated the witch. But Hi, my name is Jimmy. I'm three years old. I'm in California. My favorite book is Little House in the Big Woods. Because Pa said a tree stump was a big bear, but it wasn't. Hi, my name is Asher. I am eight and a half years old. I live in Springfield, Missouri. My favorite book is Harry Potter, the fully illustrated series. I like it because Harry Potter and his friends solve mysteries at Hogwarts because Harry Potter is a famous guy from the Potters. Hi, my name is Levi, and I'm five and a half years old. My favorite book is Alice in Wonderland pop-up book, because the pictures pop up. Hello, my name is Jude. I am eight years old, and I live in California. And my favorite book is The Secret of Skull Mountain, because it is really, really scary and find a lot of skulls. Hi, my name is Aubrey, and I'm six years old. I live in Virginia. My favorite book is The Green Ember. I like it because Picket, the sport rabbit, learned not to be stubborn, and this girl rabbit Heather protected her brother from wolf pack and attacked the wolves while she sent him to and she sent him to safety of Seven Mounds. Um, my favorite character is Heather, and she's my favorite because she took care of her brother when he was to take care of her. Hi, my name is Sam, and I am five years old, and we all live in Virginia. And my favorite book is Black Star of Kingston. I like it because... There's this rabbit named Blackstar, and that's Pickett's favorite character. And I like him because he's brave. And there's a king named King Whitson, and that's how I like about him. My name is Katie, and I am seven years old. I live in Blue Springs, Missouri, and my favorite book is My Father's Dragon. My favorite part is when the boy puts lollipops on a packet of ice cream so he can make a bitch. I was laughing so hard. My name is Phil, and I'm three years old, and I love frog and toad because they're so nice. And where do you live? North Carolina. My name is Haddon, I'm five years old. I live in North Carolina. And I love the Jesus Story Bible. It's good to learn about. Kids, wonderful job. Hey, that's it for today. If you enjoy the Read Aloud Revival podcast, would you leave us a rating or a review in iTunes? 
Doing that helps us get the word out about the podcast and inspire more families to create their own family culture around books. Head to iTunes, search for Read Aloud Revival, and then just leave us a rating or a review. I read every single one of those, and I appreciate them so very much. It only takes a few seconds, but it goes a really long way toward telling the iTunes fairies that more families should be shown the Read Aloud Revival as a recommended podcast. So thank you so much for doing that. Again, you can just search for the Read Aloud Revival at iTunes, or you could head to the show notes of this podcast, episode 52. So you head to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode 52, and we'll have a link that sends you right there. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, go build your family culture around books. 